We certainly believe and know the Lord is in this place. We felt, saw evidence in our first service today. We know and believe and see that the Lord is at work here in the second service. Would you find the Old Testament book of 2 Kings on your Bible, smartphones, maybe some in your chairs in front of you, but uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, going to be reading verses 1 through 14. And uh, you want to keep your Bibles open as we'll look at other verses perhaps in that chapter uh, as well. Thank you to our praise band. Would you say, whisper a prayer? We prayed, I prayed this morning for our children. We have uh, children at children's camp and chaperones, and they had their last worship service this morning and heading back. In fact, they're traveling right now. I texted them this morning, let them know we were praying for them and uh, would be praying, so you pray. And, uh, and I said, and they're scheduled to be back at noon. So I finished that text with saying, please don't be back early because there's 51 of them, and I doubt 51 are going to pull into the parking lot and be quiet. So, uh, But if you hear a ruckus toward the end of the service, pay no attention. It will be our 51 children and chaperones coming back. So we'll be praying for them, certainly, as well. We're continuing our trek through God's Word. This portion of God's Word, they're asking the question, what can God do? Learning biblical messages, learning about Elisha's God. We've talked about Elijah. Now we're talking about Elisha. We're in 2 Kings chapter 5. and I'm going to read verses, the, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll come back and talk about those verses here together. And we're glad you're here today. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 reads like this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, Ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter of the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he'd surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Verse 14 reads, So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. We've been asking the question, what can God do? 
we've been discovering over and over again, of course, nothing is impossible with God. And one of the reasons that we've been asking this question, discovering over and over again, so that whatever season of life that you're in, you might be able to live with confidence that you can have faith that the Lord is at work in your life. Whatever next chapter that you're in, you can know that the Lord's going to be with you as you move forward because he proves himself over and over again because he is God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says this in the message. It says, God can do anything you know for more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. May this be more than something that we read, something that we just say, but we truly live it and believe it. And here in 2 Kings, Elisha, the prophet, heals a leper by the name of Naaman. Surely it reminds us of Jesus healing lepers in the New Testament. Ten lepers at one occasion. Every time that Jesus miraculously healed someone, it always pointed and it was a sign to the fact of who Jesus is as the Son of God, Savior of the world. And also to the fact that not only was he concerned for us physically, but that there needed to be a permanent spiritual healing to take place. Even this healing of Naaman, the leper, it wasn't just about his physical healing, but as we're going to learn, we're going to learn that one who was miraculously converted and placed his faith in the God of Israel, the one and only true God. Now, Naaman is an unlikely candidate to be a follower of God. Naaman's not an Israelite. He's an enemy of Israel. He's an idol worshiper. In fact, we're even going to find that he's a little bit involved in child trafficking or slavery for kids. But, he's, but he has, uh, here he is, he has a lot of other things going for him. He's second in charge, at least where he lives in Syria. Sometimes Syria is referred to as Aram, depending on your translation. He's second only in charge of all of Syria, second only to the king. He's highly favored and a valiant warrior. It may seem unusual, but did you notice in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, it says that the Lord gave him victory over Israel. Seems unusual to be able to hear that about an enemy of Israel, of Syria. Of course, we know that God is sovereign. There are no victories. There are no uh, victories or defeats unless it sifts through the hand of God. But sometimes, or maybe oftentimes in Israel's life, the nation of Israel, that they would be disobedient because of worshiping idols and God would send a foreign nation to discipline them and to defeat them as well. But then notice the last part of verse 1 to where it says, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. We might assume that Naaman's leprosy was at the beginning stages. But in the Near or Middle East, there was no known cure, particularly in those days. Probably many skin diseases perhaps were referred to in Scripture being as a part of leprosy in that day. At its worst, it would continue and mutilate the body. Those who had leprosy, all of their hair would fall out. The toes and fingers would sometimes drop off. Teeth would fall out. Ears and eyes and nose would be wasting away. We probably view leopards today. They look to us like walking and living zombies. Israelites were required to live isolated lives and to warn others. It tells us that in Leviticus chapter 13. But this was Syria, but in any part of the world probably, but they were considered it as, a, as a death warrant. There was no hope. But here we have Naaman. He's living, it seems to be, either at his home after the war is over or maybe near his home as well, but with a little hope. Leprosy is often used as a powerful illustration of the devastating power of sin. Doesn't mean that everybody that has leprosy has leprosy because of their sin. 
It doesn't always mean that it's because of judgment on them, though we'll talk about that maybe here as time, if time permits. But I want you to notice, and I'm going to just let you know this. We won't look at all of these verses, but in Leviticus chapter 13, it kind of lays out how leprosy is to be viewed and what the Israelites are to do. But I want you to notice how leprosy can be compared to sin. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 3, it says that leprosy is deeper than skin, than the skin. Well, sin like leprosy is deeper than the skin. We know that it goes deeper than the surface of the skin. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 7 talks about how if it's leprosy, it will spread. Well, sin left unchecked will spread, particularly if it is unrepentant. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 46 says a person with leprosy is considered unclean and they'll need to break fellowship with their family and with others. Well, sin that is left unchecked and unrepentant, certainly it is unholy, it's unclean, and it causes separation not only from other individuals, but certainly separation from God. And then one more, Leviticus 13 and verse 57 talks about everything that has touched leprosy has to be thrown into the fire. It's fit only for the fire. Well, can I tell you that sin and sinners are only fit for the fire unless they've been touched by Jesus, unless they have repented, put their faith in Jesus. So leprosy serves as a biblical example or illustration for the effects of sin. I say that so that you might understand that we may not take it lightly. We may not take sin lightly. As bad as leprosy is, sin is even worse. For it was our sins that put Jesus, the Almighty God and Savior, on the cross. Now Naaman seems to have... Everything that this world has to offer, even the Lord's given him victory, it says in verse 1. But he has a problem. Can I tell you that no matter who you are, no matter how good or bad you are, everyone has a problem. Unlike Naaman, everybody's problem is the same problem because all are sinners in need of a Savior. Notice in your notes, all are sinners in need of a Savior. It might seem like in your notes there are lots of points today, maybe more so or maybe even more blanks than usual. But rather than seeing them points in a message, here's how I'd like for you to view them. These are points on your journey. We're going to walk through Naaman's journey, and we're going to be able to understand, of course, from a New Testament perspective. We're going to walk through so that you might be able to see uh, how every, this is part of every person's journey, or at least some point on this map. In fact, if we had the room, I would have drawn you a map maybe Look like you were walking through each map as we walk through Naaman's journey. So you may want to you may want to drop a pen as if these are locations either to where you've been or to where you need to be. Every story in the Bible is for a reason, and there are several truths about your personal journey with Jesus that we see in this passage that may be true for you. So part of your job today, if you'll hang with me for these next few minutes and pay some attention here, that part of your job and part of my job is to determine where you are in your spiritual pilgrimage and where you need to be. And this is everybody's. There's a place on here to where you are and there's probably a place to where you need to be as well. And all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. Now I'm saying this in present tense. All every one of these will be in present, not past or future because it may be that this is where you are right now. But hopefully you've already given your life over to Jesus and are a member of God's holy family. If not, it is my prayer that today, before we leave this place, that you will be able and that you will give your heart and life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask Christ to be Savior and Lord. Or maybe you're here today and you're not quite sure. 
you're not quite sure that you really have Jesus in your heart or that if you have a home in heaven. You're not even sure if you're a member of God's holy family. Well, if that's true of you today, before we leave this place, I want you to be sure. One of our mission teams uh, that were on mission last couple of weeks, we had a couple of teams, one in Alaska, one in Florida. Well, one of our teams that was talking to an individual, a father of young children, uh, about a personal relationship with Jesus. And he made this statement. He said, well, I don't know anybody that can really know Jesus or God personally. Remember the team said, well, what if I could tell you not only could you know Jesus personally, but you could know that you have a home in heaven. Would that be good news? He said, yeah, that would be good news. And we began to share with him certainly about a testimony about who Jesus is. And this verse was given to him from John 1, 12, to where it says, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave right to become the children of God. A few minutes later, that young father prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. You know, outside of John 3.16, maybe one of the most common verses that are quoted by preacher types such as me might be Romans 3.23 that says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us at one time in our journey were sinners, lost without hope until we met Christ. No one is born at birth. I guess everybody's born at birth. But no one is born at birth into the family of God. Nobody's been a Christian all of their life. Until we realize we have a sin problem, we cannot, and see a need for Jesus, we cannot move to the next step and come to know that we have Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now I want you to realize the importance of this story. Naaman, a non-Jewish person, is coming to the Hebrews for help. Jesus mentions the story. Now you would think that because of the history of the Israelites, because of uh, Ruth the Moabite, because of Rahab the Canaanite, and now because of uh, here Naaman the Syrian, you would think by the time of Jesus' ministry, the Jewish people would have gotten, you know, would have gotten uh, felt better about the gospel being for everyone. But they thought that the good news of the Messiah would only be coming for them. And in Luke chapter 4, you remember the story perhaps of Jesus going to his hometown of Nazareth. So on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue. He reads from Isaiah the prophet about the coming Messiah, and then he sits down. Maybe all eyes were on him, and as he sat down, he said these words. He said, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Now, if you read that story carefully, you might find out that this was not what made all the people in his hometown upset with him. Because actually, it says when he made that statement, it says all the people marveled, but asked, is this not Joseph's sons? And then Jesus began to say, I imagine he was still sitting at this point. He said, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. In his last recorded words in Nazareth were these words from Luke chapter 4 and verse 27. Tor says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Now I've got to tell you, I almost skipped this particular story about Naaman. Because, you know, we're on a trek. We're not reading it. It's hard to read every story, every verse, and every chapter. Because the idea, hopefully under the Holy Spirit's leadership, is by 2030 we're going to be in Revelation. So we're kind of on this trek reading through the Bible. And I almost skipped this one. And then I realized Jesus talked about this in the New Testament. We probably need to pay attention to what's being said here. And when he said these words, he was saying to the Jewish people, the people of hometown of Nazareth, if you don't accept me as the Messiah... The non-Israelite world will. Now Jesus' words about Naaman says in chapter, Luke chapter 4, verses 28 and 29, the home crowd became angry, drove him out of town, 
to a hill intending to throw Jesus off the cliff, but miraculously Jesus passed through them and he went away. There's a great truth here, often called in the New Testament, the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ is this, the good news is for everyone. It's for the enemies of Israel. It's even for the enemies of the gospel and all sinners in need of a Savior. In fact, what makes it the mystery is not so much, okay, the mystery is it wasn't known now that it is known. That's part of it. But also, it's a mystery that God loves everyone, that God could love somebody like me, that God could love everybody. How could His grace be so good and so big? In Acts chapter 13 and verse 47, Paul reminded some of his Jewish brethren these words from the Old Testament. It says, for God, so, for God the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I want you to see God at work bringing people to himself. See it in this passage and see it even today and around us. Syria, Syria had obviously had some victories over Israel. This was a time Israel, particularly the northern kingdom, was not being obedient. In one of Syria's raids, according to chapter 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It says, They had carried off a young girl from the land of Israel as a slave. And she's working for Naaman's wife. And she tells Naaman's wife, There's a prophet in Samaria. He'll cure him of leprosy. She's confident in her statement. That little girl's statement, the little slave girl's statement, began Nehemiah's journey not only to be cured of leprosy, but to place his faith in the true and living God. And here's another part of your journey, a place we may, may want to place a pin on your map of either where you've been or where you need to be. A member of God's family gives testimony to you about their faith in Jesus. The Lord has chosen his method to share the good news around the world. It may seem kind of strange to us that the Lord would choose this method, but he's chosen you and me to share the good news about Jesus, his church. We've been studying these Old Testament stories about Elijah and about Elisha, who certainly were used as great prophets for God, and still today there are great spokesmen and spokeswomen who are able to speak for God, and we appreciate all of them. But here also we have a little slave girl taken to another land who points to the commander of the enemy's army to be able to know God. Interesting thing to me was she was a slave. You remember how Jesus talked in the New Testament, truth shall make you free. Those who are free indeed are those who know Jesus. Here she was, a little slave girl, and she was still free. Free to be able to tell others about her faith. And surely God was working all along. Nations were at war. Soldiers were in battle. Slaves were taken to other lands, and God was still at work. So this commander could have hope and hear good news about a God who loved and cared for him. This is also a part of your journey. If you're saved today, somebody shared with you their testimony about Jesus. Somebody told you about Jesus. It may have been a preacher. It may have been a family member. It may have been a friend. It may have been somebody that you did not know who they were before, but they came and shared about Jesus. It's a reminder that we all need to be sharing. Isaiah 52 also recorded and repeated in Romans chapter 10 how beautiful the feet of those who share the good news. This could be the place in your journey where you are today, even if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Someone's told you about Jesus and about their faith in the risen Lord, but you have yet to believe or taken that step of faith. Or if no one's told you, I'm telling you today, there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord who loves and cares for you. 
He wants to save you from your sins so that you can have eternal and abundant life. Be ready to take the next step today. For Naaman, it may have been in desperation that he would listen to this little slave girl about hope found in Israel of all places who could cure him of leprosy and do more for him than he ever dreamed, imagined in his wildest dreams. Nevertheless, he went to the king of Syria, his king, to tell him about what the girl from Israel said. Now, the king of Syria must have thought a lot of this commander or cared for him. Saw value in him, for he told him, Go now to the king of Israel. Go to the king of Israel. I'll send you a letter to the king. Naaman took with him a good amount of money, silver and gold, ten changes of clothes. Multiple changes of clothes was considered a sign of wealth in that day. By the way, many parts of the world it still is today. And it took a letter from the king. Look again in verse 6 about what the letter said. In 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 6, king of Syria writes to the king of Israel, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> now Naaman had to be thinking, if there really is a cure for leprosy in Israel, surely I've got the goods that I'm going to be able to get the cure. I've got the wealth. I've got the letter from the king of Israel. But what he would find out that no amount of wealth, no amount of power of prestige or prestige would secure the cure that he would need. If leprosy were an illustration of sin, and we knew we needed a cure for sin, the cure for sin cannot be bought. No amount of power or prestige could secure, for the cure for sin is a free gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. However, this is often part of your journey, at least for most of us. You try to earn your way to a good standing with God. You try to earn your way to a good standing with God or to get to heaven. And sometimes it is money. Hey, if I give enough to the church or to charity, surely that will get me closer to heaven. Or I'll try religion. I'll go to church. I'm going to get on a committee. I'm going to do more at the church. I'm going to say the right prayers and do the right stuff. Will that not earn me God's favor? Naaman found out not Wealth nor a letter from the king were necessary, only faith in the grace of God. And the king of Syria sent this letter to Naaman to the king of Israel, thinking the king would know how to secure the cure his commander, for his commander. When the king of Israel received the letter, did you notice he was distraught? The king of Israel read the letter and he tore his royal robes. He tore his clothes. Tearing the clothes was often a sign of grief, sometimes remorse. Maybe in this case it was a despair. What does the king know, he said to himself, about life and death or about curing leprosy? For he knew nothing of God's saving grace. This particular king of Israel knew nothing of God's saving grace or the power to heal. He saw this as a precursor to another war with Syria. Have you ever sent an email or a text or maybe even a real letter? And when you, when you got it, they did not receive it in the same way in which you meant it. You meant it to say something nice, and they took it as maybe something mean. Has that ever happened? Or maybe you meant it mean, and they took it nice or something like that. But sometimes it can be misrepresented. But here's how the king of Israel saw this letter. Cure my servant or else. I really don't think that's the way he meant it. Elisha hears of the anguish of the king and sends word. Why in such despair? Send Naaman to me so that he may know God's prophet is in Israel, Elisha says. Naaman comes to Elisha's house with all of his chariots and all of his horses, not to mention the silver, gold, and the clothing. 
Boy, it must have been quite a spectacle for there for Naaman and his great entourage in front of what was probably the humble abode of the prophet Elisha. But Elisha didn't come out of the house. Instead, he sends his servant with the message. It's found in verse 10. He says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. Simple message. But verses 11 and 12 both repeat how angry and outraged Naaman was. One, because he didn't even come out of the house. Elisha didn't. And also because he goes to wash, asking to wash himself in the Jordan of all places. And he thought there'd be a great ceremony where the great prophet Elisha would come out, call upon his God, some kind of ritual or sacrifice would take place and magic words would happen. And then suddenly he would, in a dramatic fashion, move his hands in such a way and poof, the leprosy would be gone. In the Jordan River, aren't there better, cleaner rivers in Syria to dip in than to get into the muddy waters of the Jordan? Thus he turned and leaves in a rage. But Elisha knew because God knew. Before Naaman could believe, he had to do something about his problem with pride. Hear me. Because pride keeps many people from placing their faith in Jesus. Placing too much faith in oneself or not willing to submit to God makes the cross a stumbling block to many who refuse to believe. It was often that case for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and it continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if this is your stumbling block to giving your life and heart and everything over to the Lord Jesus, it doesn't have to stay that way. For Naaman's Entourage, all of his servants came and spoke to him. Again, in verse 13, read verse 13 again. It says, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? Naaman needed some more encouragement. One of my many jobs when I was in school is that I worked for a security company as a salesman. And uh, I would often go to the upper crust neighborhoods around Dallas and Fort Worth area in order to be able to sell private security and get leads for security alarms. And uh, I, would, uh, I would put on a security guard uniform with a badge that said security guard on it and had a picture of Mickey Mouse right under it. Didn't really have that picture, but that's kind of how it felt. I had no training to be a security guard, but when I signed a piece of paper, they told me I was. And I even had a cop-looking car with a bubble on it, but no lights inside, but it kind of looked like it. So I'd drive up to the house, I'd walk up, knock on the door, and I'd say, I'm Officer Redmond. I'm here to talk to you about greater security here in this neighborhood. i got to tell you, I felt more like trick-or-treat probably than a security guard. But surprisingly, many people bought and signed on the dotted line on my very first visit to them. There are other people that I have to go back maybe two and three, four times before to, I would make the sale. And then there are, of course, many that uh, didn't purchase at all. Now, if there's any parallel to the Christian walk, it is that there have been many times I've talked to a person, and on the very first time talking to them, they prayed to receive Jesus. And then other times there are people that I would need to talk to maybe several times, or other people would need to talk to before they receive Jesus. And, of course, there are some that will not believe the truth about Jesus, or even if they do believe, they're not ready to leave the worldliness or pride behind to follow Jesus. In Naaman's case, it took more convincing. 
If you're here today and you've heard the good news about Jesus Christ and you know and have heard the truth about Jesus, but you've yet to believe or yet to put your faith in Him, well, it may be that today before you leave because you're hearing again the good news of the gospel that you'll be ready to follow Jesus. Or if you have one or more for whom you've been praying for and sharing and inviting to Jesus, we're participating in Who's Your Three, asking you to have up to three people at least that you are praying for, inviting and sharing with. Let this be a day of hope to never give up, but continue to love and share the good news. You know that job that I had in school as a security salesperson, I really only had it for a few weeks or a few months. I had to let that job go because I realized that the things that I was saying, the things that were written in the brochure that I was reading to them, I didn't really believe it all to be true. In fact, I felt like my opinion was that they were promising much more than they were delivering. And even though it was kind of a lucrative job for a part-time person while they were in school, I had to let that job go because I didn't believe what was being said. Not so for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so for what you're telling people about Jesus, for it is the truth. It is that which you can believe and that others can believe. The servants in verse 13, even they were convinced. There's not a hint that they were saying to Naaman, oh, what's the harm? Might as well try it. It's not going to hurt you. Oh, no, they were convinced. If you do this, you'll be made clean. And somewhere between verse 13 and verse 14, Naaman believed. Read verse 14 again. For it says, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. For those who are followers of Jesus, these are parts of your journey. You humbly submit to God, ready to follow him. You see, all those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they must be repentant. It takes some humility. You've got to be willing to submit to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, whoever who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Also, you believe Jesus died and rose again. You see, on your journey, you've got to come to the place to where you know that you have put your faith in the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus who is everlasting. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, is the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, virgin born, 100% God, yet became flesh and dwelt among us and lived a perfect life, and he paid the debt that we could not pay. Jesus, the one who was put on the old rugged cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, rose again on the third day. He's the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's ascended to on high. He is our intercessor today in heaven. He is seated high and lifted up on his throne as it talks about in the book of Revelation. He sent the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Jesus, to indwell all of his followers and praise God. He's coming again soon. All of his followers proclaim, come Lord Jesus, come. In the meantime, he has placed his church as the body of Christ to carry on his work. Do you believe it to be true? Listen, it's okay. You can shake your head, grunt an amen underneath. Do you believe it to be true? Listen, we must believe about the biblical Jesus, but I got to tell you this, that you could be sorry for your sins and you could believe everything that we've said about Jesus and still not be saved. Wait, what? How could that be? It's the difference between head knowledge and heartfelt conviction. By faith, you still follow along on the journey. This is the place that you need to be. If you're not, by faith, you place all hope for this life and the next into Jesus' hands. Oh, and you can do that through genuine prayer, asking Jesus to take over your life. 
Some people see the dipping in the Jordan seven times akin to the act of baptism. And as our baptism is a symbol of faith in Jesus, so Naaman in the Jordan River is a symbol of his faith in God. But I see even more. It's just not a symbol that he believes that he's going to be made clean, but it is a symbol of his complete immersion into the faith of God. How do we know that? I read through verses 14 here just a moment ago, but boy, we've waited this long to give you the key verse. Verse 15 is the most important verse perhaps in this chapter. So I've kind of waited so that I might uh, be able to emphasize it. Verse 15 says this, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. Then he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman believed. And he tells Elisha that he believes. Did you notice? Look toward the verses right there. Who else does he tell? All of his entourage, all of his servants, he tells as well. Look at verses 16 and 17. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He offered all of these gifts over to him, and he urged him to take it, but he refused. Verse 17, Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not, not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Do you know that the most common souvenir of the Holy Land is? Do you know what that is? It's dirt. I've got mine. Maybe water from the Jordan as well. But in this case for Naaman, it was not for superstitious reasons or a superstitious souvenir, but a tribute to a worship of only one God. So here it is, you're following. Don't lose us on the journey. We need to know where you are, know where you're going to be. Your life is transformed if you're a follower in the Lord Jesus. And it's never the same again. No one can experience Jesus and stay the same. Some people are more dramatically changed than others, but every disciple of Jesus experienced transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. And while salvation is a free gift that you cannot earn by works, if you're proclaiming that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is no change in your life that you can touch, that you can know that there's been change because of Jesus, then you probably need to check the other points on the journey. Unfortunately... This is not the end of Naaman's story. As far as we know, Naaman continued to follow faithfully, be a witness to others. But Elisha had a servant by the name of Gehazi who got greedy. Verse 20, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name of the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. When Gehazi caught up with Naaman, he told him, he said, Elisha sent me here. He'd like to take some of that wealth that you brought because he's got two other prophets that he'd like to give it to. He lied. Then he went back to, when he got back home, he tried to hide it from Elisha. Of course, Elisha knew. Here's Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, Elisha, an Israelite. <laughs> He's shaking down the new convert for his own gain. This is often part of our journey. 
maybe not this particular thing and maybe not the new converts, but even as believers, you misrepresent Jesus, the very one who saved you. We do. By our actions and our attitudes that remind us that we're still sinners that are saved by grace. Now with a greater incentive to live for Him. Remember that leprosy thing that we talked about, not always to be used for judgment? Look at the very last verse. What happened to Gehazi because of what he did? It says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. <laughs> you know, this really is a great story. What a terrible ending. Until you remember the cross of Christ and the promise of Christ who took all of our judgment for us. No judgment for all who are in Christ. 1 John 1, 9. I've often used it to be able to share with new believers, but John's really writing to believers. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, nothing can snatch us out of the hand of the Heavenly Father. And when we sin, sometimes there's discipline that needs to take place, but not judgment. And so what we want to do is we want to come time and time again, always renewing that fellowship with Him, committing ourselves once again because we've got to do it. It's one reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So that not only should you do it every day, not only should you do it every Sunday, but when we come to the Lord's Supper, we've got to come once again and say, Yes, Lord, I know. I need to come clean again. And you're back in a growing relationship with Jesus. You're back in a growing relationship with Jesus, your Savior and Lord. Where are you on the journey? Are you a sinner in the need of a Savior? Need to give your heart and life to Jesus? Somewhere, yes, there's nine of them. I can, three categories that we put them there. Has your life been transformed? If not, you need to give your heart and life to Jesus. Have you misrepresented Jesus, the very one who saved you in some way? You have. I've done it because we know we're not going to be perfect. Hopefully we do it less and less the more we become. You know, my prayer that I've been praying often, I think I pray it more often today because it's part of a song. Lord, make me a lot more like you and a whole lot less like me. Do you need to be back in a growing relationship with Jesus today? Today, He wants you to be back. And then tomorrow again, so that we might continue to grow in the Lord, have that growing relationship, and be in the place that we need to be. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time together today, from praises that have been lifted to prayers. We thank you for being able to celebrate the supper today, remembering what Jesus has done. We pray also the proclamation of your word. Father, we know that it does not return void, that you want to speak to us today. and We recognize we're all on a spiritual pilgrimage today. Even those who are not believers are on a spiritual pilgrimage, whether they know it or not, and Jesus is bringing to you. So, Father, we pray today that those who are at the beginning of that pilgrimage and need to turn their heart and life over to you. Someone listening today, someone here, Father, we pray that today might be the day of salvation. They may know for sure. We pray for believers today who are here that if we've stepped away, if we've misrepresented you and not come clean today, Father, we may do that even now. But Father, may we be in a growing relationship with you. They, may that be our goal that we may represent you well. May see more and more people come to know you as Lord and Savior and proclaim before others that Jesus is Lord. 
Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together today. It's in Jesus' name we lift these.